Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Hey, everyone. I want to welcome you to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here, as always, Chris Blaming. And today we are going to change things up just a little bit. I'm going to interview myself, which could be a great idea or a terrible one, but we're going to find out. In the next 15 minutes or so, I'm going to share with you what I believe to be the three biggest retirement mistakes that I see after working with hundreds of individuals and business owners over the last two decades. These mistakes are all too common, no matter how good or bad the economy is, no matter who's in charge of the government, no matter whether you're prepared well for retirement or not. You'll want to pay close attention today and make sure you've got the answers on how you'll avoid these big missteps because addressing them properly could make the difference between a comfortable, confident retirement or one filled with doubt and anxiety. Now, I wanna start by saying that no one can really predict the future with absolute certainty, and that can be kind of a sobering thought, but we can absolutely prepare the best that we can for the certainty of uncertainty. I didn't make up that term, but I like it. The certainty of uncertainty, which is admitting that no one knows for sure what's going to take place. Things are always going to be uncertain. Um, The circumstances change. And and that is a certainty that things will always be unknowable and unpredictable. So although we can't predict those things, we can certainly prepare for them. And that is exactly what I want to do is plan for you here today to go through these big missteps and mistakes that I see people making to help you put together some kind of a plan to help deal with those the best that we can in order to have some certainty about the preparation that we've done and feel more confident about the direction that you're going to go if you're close to retirement or just starting that or or getting ready to begin. Okay, so let's jump in. The first big mistake that I see people making is ignoring the three big risks facing people approaching or living in retirement. There's an author, a speaker, uh, a well-known person in the income landscape of retirement planning. His name is David Machia. I've actually interviewed him on this show before. And he talks about three big risks that people face um, in approaching or living in retirement. Um, Before I go into those, I want to define, as he defines, the types of retirees there are. There are three types of retirees. We're going to have lots of threes today. Everything comes in threes. So there are three types of retirees. The first one is a retiree or a couple or a business owner who is overfunded, which means that they have accumulated more money that they, than they're ever going to need, that they're ever going to be able to spend. And it is virtually impossible for them to outlive their money um, because they have done so well or done so well in saving or their expenses are low in their preparation for retirement. So that's an overfunded investor or an overfunded retiree. 
The second type is underfunded. And this person, for whatever reason or whatever circumstances, has not been able to save, invest, and prepare well for retirement. And so most of the income that they're going to have in retirement is going to come from fixed sources like Social Security or maybe a pension, and they won't have a tremendous amount of savings to be able to rely on. All right, that's an underfunded investor or a retiree. And then the third category is what the uh, author David Machia refers to as a constrained investor. And this is where the majority of people fit in or the majority of people fit when it comes to the type of retirees that are out there, a constrained investor. And what that means is, is that they have done um, a decent amount of saving and investing or a pretty good amount of saving and investing. And they more than likely have enough to be able to retire, but they cannot, like the overfunded person, they cannot ignore the fact that they have a real risk of their money running out before they pass away, or there's a real risk there of them outliving their money. Now, there's a way to determine if you might be a constrained investor or not. And constrained is not a negative term here. It just means that some planning needs to be done. Some especially close attention needs to be given to the three big risks I'm going to talk about in a second. And most people, the majority of people that I work with that I've seen fit into this constrained category. There's a way to figure out whether you're constrained or not. That's something we do with clients and people that we meet with outside of the discussion for today. But it is very likely that you fit into this category of a constrained investor. So these people must plan for the three big risks in retirement. All right. The first one, the first big risk that constrained investors will face is longevity risk. Simply put, what longevity risk is, is that is the chance that you may live too long or you may live longer than you expect. And therefore, the money that you have set aside um, and the way that it's invested may not make it as far as you do. Everyone knows in general that life expectancies are increasing with medical advances, with the drugs that people can take, the preventative stuff that they can do to uh, lengthen the lifespan that they have. So the chance that you could live longer than your life expectancy, that you could outlive what your parents did or your other relatives, is a risk that needs to be dealt with if you are a constrained investor. Okay. The second one, the second big risk that Machia talks about is the risk of inflation. Now, for probably the last 15 or 20 years, inflation was essentially like a joke. Um, people laughed about it. It didn't really exist. It was very low, whether it was artificially done or whether that was just a factor of how the economy was working. But ever since probably the early 2000s, inflation relatively has been low until the last six to nine months, or you could say the last year, where the prices of things have really gotten out of hand and everyday items, everyday things that we use, gas, groceries that we spend money on, everyone has seen some kind of a price increase in those areas and um, has been, become a hot topic and something that a lot of people talk about. So inflation, although it was made kind of out as to be a joke previously, um, now it's the top of everyone's mind. And what inflation does very simply 
is it eats away at your purchasing power, which in layman's terms, it means it takes more money to buy the same thing compared to the money that it took to buy it previously. A good example, if milk used to cost $2.50 a gallon and now it costs $4, now it takes more dollars to buy the same gallon of milk as it did when it was $2.50. That's eating away at your principal, right? That's inflation is taking an effect there and now it costs more to maintain the same lifestyle. And although the government has said, well, it's transitory, or maybe it's not, maybe it's peaked, maybe it isn't, trying to guess whether inflation is going to be an issue or not, I'm telling you, if your retirement is going to be 15, 20, 30, 35 years, you have to address inflation when you're talking about your retirement planning. It's a big risk that you have to look at. The bottom line is, is whether you think inflation will be high or low, in 10 years, things are going to cost more than they do today. Okay, that needs to be um, included in your considerations for your planning. The third big risk that constrained investors need to look at is timing risk. Okay, timing risk. And we're talking about um, the investing of money here, um, when it is done, at what point it's done. And when someone retires, and oftentimes with a constrained investor, maybe they have some kind of lump sum of money that they come into at either a transition in their life or when they're going to retire. So maybe they get divorced, maybe a spouse has passed away, maybe some parents have died and they've inherited some money. Um, Maybe they have a 401k that they're reinvesting, or maybe there's a pension plan that they have money that they're receiving that they have to invest. Um, When they invest that money, there is a risk associated with the timing of that. And not to get too complicated, but essentially, what happens once that money is invested is going to be one of three things. There's another three. It's either going to go up, it's going to go down, or it's going to stay flat for some period of time. All right. And whether or not that money goes down, stays flat or goes up when the person initially invests that money is going to have an impact on the length of time that that money will last. Okay. It's going to have an impact on how long that money lasts and how long the person can use it. And if the money was to go down after it's invested um, right away, then there's a real dangerous risk that it could not la- it may not last as long as you expect it to, okay? And so the timing of the investing um, has an impact and constrained investors need to give some consideration to that. And I want to delineate, I'm not talking about market timing where, you had to pick the exact right time to buy this into the market and trying to time it. I'm simply referring to once you do decide to invest it, what happened after? Did it go up? Did it go down? Did it stay flat? That's what I mean by timing risk. Okay. Now, what can be done or what has been done in the past to try to deal with those three big risks that constrain investor space? Well, some traditional methods or the main one um, is something called the total return method. A total return type of investment strategy basically says, I've got this lump sum, let's say of a million dollars. I'm going to invest it in a portfolio that's in alignment, some mixture of bond stocks and cash, maybe some alternatives um, according to my timeframe and what I think I feel comfortable with. And then I'm going to pick a dollar amount 
or a set uh, amount per month or per year that I want to take out. I'm going to change that every year a little bit for inflation. And then I'm just hoping that over the long run, that the market cooperates and that the investments keep up with my return. And however long I live, that the total return of that money over time will be more than what I take out and I won't run out. Okay. So now this total return method, I want to start by saying it can work. Okay. It's possible that it can work. Now, it does not deal though with some of those risks that we talked about to the constrained investor. So it could deal with longevity. It could address inflation based on what you invested in, but it does not deal, in my opinion, with the timing risk. Okay. Because again, once you invest that money, it could go down. That could be a real problem. All right. So this traditional method of this total return, I think it falls short, although it can work it falls short in addressing all those risks that constrain investors face, which we've determined constrained investors are made up. That's most of the people in the United States and America that are retiring today. So part of the answer on what can be done addresses the second big retirement mistake that I see people making and work with them, working with them. And that is not having an income plan or an income strategy for retirement. Now let's start on that point with talking about the difference between accumulating money and distributing it. So when we're working, when we're young or when we're leading up to retirement, we are in the accumulation phase. We're trying to save money. We're trying to uh, build up our nest eggs to a point as high as we can, as much as we can. So then when we get to that point in the future, whatever age that might be, then we get to the point where we can start taking the money out of that investment portfolio to support our lifestyle or support retirement or to do the things that we want to do. So that first part I was just talking about, the saving is the accumulation. You're accumulating the money. The part where you start to switch and start to take it out, that is called distributing or distribution. All right. And the investment strategies for accumulation and distribution are not the same. The expertise involved in those is not the same. Um, the emphasis is not the same on the types of investments you use and how you would take the money out. There's tax considerations, things of that nature we won't get into in this discussion today. But for the point of our talk today, accumulation is different than distribution and you need a strategy for distributing the money, okay? We've talked about those pitfalls of the total return strategy. Um, where it not addressing the risks. Um, so one way that this can be solved is having a specific income plan or an income strategy or a way to distribute the money in retirement that deals with these risks, longevity, inflation, and timing, that deals with those risks for the constrained investor, okay? And on a high level, it's not a new concept, but on a high level, you are going to, or what we look at doing is segmenting the money according to the time frame on when you are going to use it. Very simply put, money that won't be used for a very long period of time, let's say 10, 15, or 20 years for income, that money could be invested in theory more aggressively than money that you would be using in the next two to three or five or 10 years. And then Picking the investments according to those timeframes and segmenting the money 
So then wherever your income is coming from, wherever you're taking your distributions right now, those are coming from very conservative, very safe, maybe even guaranteed places. And the money that you don't need right now where you're taking the risk is money that you won't uh, use for a very long period of time. So then if you go through cycles with the markets, and right now we're in a down cycle, then that's only affecting the money that you don't need for a really long time. And history tells us it's very likely that those things will recover and be worth more than what they are today because of the long time frame. okay? Also, you can think of it in terms of the segments being income that you're going to use right now, income that might be pretty soon, which would be, say, five to 10 years, and then income that you're going to use later or never, all right? Um, and you can think of those in terms of buckets or segments. Um, we talk about them in terms of buckets, all right? Now, you still have flexibility with those things, but what that does is that helps you to understand that you're never going to be, or it's highly unlikely, you're ever going to be taking money for your paycheck or income out of the portfolio from a place that is going down. Because what's the big um, destroyer of an estate is when you have to take or sell money in order to take money out. When you have to sell investments that are down to do that, that accelerates the downward spiral of the money becoming less, and it's less likely that it will last as long as you plan on being retired. Okay. All right. So let's switch to the third big retirement mistake that I see people making um, in planning for retirement. And that one, number three, is not taking the social security claiming decision seriously. A lot of people are very flippant about this. They don't look at it and do the analysis. And that is a big mistake because um, not doing this analysis and not making a good choice with your social security can often mean thousands of dollars of difference over someone's lifetime, all right? Now, just on a high level, I'm not gonna go through all the nuances, but the earliest that you could take social security is actually 62. That's the earliest anyone can take it. And everyone has a full retirement age. Um, and this gets a little confusing, which is either usually 66, between 66 and 67 based on the year that you were born. So that's your full retirement age when there are no longer any discounts. And then you, the longest you can wait is age 70. Now, just a couple other points of interest. Um, starting at 62, every year that you wait, uh, your social security benefit will go up 8%. It actually goes up each month that you wait, but if a full year, it goes up 8%. It stops climbing after age 70. And your full retirement age is when there's no longer a discount. Right now, the discount between taking it at 67 and 62 is about 32%. Um, in some cases, it might be a little bit bigger than that. So there's a pretty substantial difference between doing it early and waiting until your full retirement age. Um, so you can see where that would make a big difference. And over, depending on how long you lived, it would, could make thousands of dollars in difference. Now, I get all kinds of objections, you know, why people should start when they're 62, um, why it doesn't matter. The two biggest ones that I normally get are, uh, Chris, I don't know how long I'm going to live. And the second one is, well, the Social Security Fund is going to run out and it's going to be broke anyway. So why don't I just go ahead and start it? And maybe those have some validity, but if you don't have any reason why you wouldn't live to your life expectancy, I think that's a little bit short-sighted. 
And although the government usually does a pretty good job of kicking the can down the road until it becomes a really glaring problem before they fix it, I think there's some simple things that the government could do to shore up Social Security to make it more solvent. And whether they have to do that, whether they're forced to, and there's no other options, or whether they do that before remains to be seen. But I think those two objections are probably short-sighted, and those aren't reasons to take it at 62. So what are some factors to consider when you are looking at the Social Security claiming decision? Obviously, one of them is whether you're married or not. Um, Another one is, is your current health. Are you currently healthy? Do you have chronic problems? Do you have reasons to believe that you won't live to your life expectancy? Um, In your family history, do you have people that live longer than uh, average or they maybe they live shorter than average? You have heart disease and cancer uh, in your family history. Um, The other thing is your current health. Um, Do you have any reason to believe any chronic issues where you think you won't live as long as your as the life expectancies tell you that you will. The other factor to consider is the financial need. So do you have a need for the money? Do you need the money in order to maintain your lifestyle, in order to pay your bills, in order to keep up with the cost of living or not? If none of those things really apply, then I think it's a big benefit to put off the social security claiming as long as you can. And especially if you have a spouse and your incomes were different, and your social security benefits are different, if there's a big difference between spouses in terms of what they would receive for social security, in many cases, it makes sense for the higher income earning spouse who's gonna have a higher social security benefit. In a lot of cases, it makes sense for that person to put off or wait because then if they passed away, then their spouse would get the bigger benefit. Um, when When a married couple and one of them dies, uh, the, the surviving spouse gets the bigger of the two social securities. So if you waited, that could be a bigger benefit to the spouse, a bigger survivor benefit. So all that being said, what I want you to do is don't take this social security claiming decision lightly. Do the exercise. There's lots of calculators. Um, we have some that we use with clients when we're going through this and in, in income planning, but there's lots of ways to do the analysis to figure out what the optimal strategy is. And I've even interviewed a social security claiming expert. Um, She's great. And her company's great um, for that purpose to look at whether you should wait, claim now, or what's the optimal strategy, whether you're single or married on what to do. Okay. So those are our three big mistakes. Number one was ignoring the big risks facing constrained investor, longevity, inflation, and timing risk. The second big mistake was not having an income plan or an income strategy in preparation for retirement or in retirement. So having a plan for distributing the money and not accumulating it. And mistake number three was not taking the social security decision seriously. All right. And that really is the difference. Those mistakes addressing those can really make a difference between having some confidence in retirement, a high confidence, and being concerned or anxious or having anxiety over whether or not you're gonna have enough or whether or not what's going on with the markets and the economy right now is gonna mean that you're gonna have to change your lifestyle or that you're gonna run out of money. Because no one really can predict the future, like we talked about earlier, with any certainty, 
especially absolute certainty, but we can certainly prepare for it in the best way by embracing the certainty of uncertainty and having a well-thought-out income strategy that addresses the big risks and those mistakes I talked about facing constrained investors and most Americans approaching or living in retirement. So um, what could be the next steps? If what I've gone over today is really making sense to you and you'd like more information, your next step is basically to go to our website. That's www.lpfadvisors, L-P-F-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S, lpfadvisors.com. There's a simple way to reach out to us on the site, and we promise that we'll connect with you shortly after you reach out to us. And I want to thank everyone for taking the time to be here with me today, for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we raise the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you being here. Be well. Take care. Stay safe. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.